This episode of the Ready Room is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. This is JG Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome to the Ready Room, show number one hundred thirty-three. A secret fascination with trains. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me this week is Darren Moser. We'll be talking about some Star Trek news, including the trailers for TNG season six and Chain of Command on Blu-ray. IDW and Harlan Ellison bringing the original City on the Edge of Forever script to comics, and we remember TNG's Lieutenant Commander Darren, Wendy Hughes. Then in the feature, we're joined by Philip Gilfus and Daniel Prue to discuss the TNG episode Emergence. So let's step into the ready room. Hello, Darren. It's great to have you on the ready room with me to co-host this week. And as we were discussing, this may be the first time you've ever co-hosted. I was sure you've done it before, but is this your inaugural voyage here doing news with me? Let's just say it is. I think that part of my positronic brain has probably been repressed for some reason. But in case uh, someone does look through the archives and discover it. Otherwise, yes, Chris, this is the first time uh, (laughs) I've been joining you here on the ready room to to do the news and it, i'm excited i'm looking forward to it i guess so yeah maybe that will turn up when Riker is enjoying one of his historical holodeck programs where he looks back at the past he, he loves to do enterprise but he also likes to do earlier time periods as well so who knows we might turn up especially since i have minuet with me here in the background today Oh, yeah. It's always good to have a nice holographic character in the background. I have the three uh, musketeer versions of our favorite crew members. Uh, It's kind of like one of those wall clings you would put on the wall. I just have them holographically displayed behind me so I can just when I need to laugh, I just turn around and it's it it's it's really lifts my spirits on these long days. Sounds like a good plan. So how has everything else been going for you, Darren? That's been going well. Uh, I've just been doing a lot of recording. I've been on a lot of different uh, podcasts and places and many science fiction, but a lot of Star Trek. And like I always say, when you find people you can really have a good Star Trek conversation about, it's it's the best thing. So have you been on the Brony cast recently? Aren't you a Brony or is that Mike Rittenhouse and, and Philip who are Bronies? I think they're a little more brony than I am. I, I do know what the term means, and I do know the characters' <laughs> names, uh, mostly because I have a, a, a young daughter who enjoys putting the ponies on the TV. But uh, I, I, I will say, though, it is a very well-written show, and I, I do give it its its due. Right, and that would be My Little Pony and Bronies. I've heard them described as the surprising adult male fans of My Little Pony. That's true. My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, not to be confused with all the previous My Little Ponies, which were terrible. (laughs) Yes. And I think Barkley would probably be a brony if he were living today. I think so. I think he would be. He'd make his own, you know, 
brony with the little cutie mark, and it would be, I don't know, it'd be like a holodeck grid on his flank, just a bunch of orange lines. That actually looked pretty cool, I think. Well, let's jump into news, Darren, and we have to kick off news again. This is becoming a theme for 2014, and it's one that I, I really don't want to see continue. We've lost yet another member of the Star Trek family, a character that all TNG fans know from the episode Lessons, Lieutenant Commander Darren, a love interest of Picard, was played by the wonderful Australian actress Wendy Hughes, and uh, she unfortunately passed away today, really, as we were preparing the show, March 8th, at the age of 61, and it's believed that she died of cancer. Yeah, this was one of those episodes that that I caught later on, you know, you know, sometimes when you watch Star Trek and you feel like you've seen it all and then you catch one and you're like, oh my gosh, is this, did I miss this one somehow? And it, uh-huh. it either your brain half forgot it or something like that. And let's just say, okay, there's a, there's a person called Commander Darren and you hear Captain Picard and many crew members say, Commander Darren, I mean, I just assume they were talking to me because it, <laughs> I mean, I, I might have made a ringtone or two out of these audio clips, but uh, that definitely got me hooked into this episode. But what kept me there was the great acting uh, by Wendy. It's, it's really hard to play the flame opposite of Picard. I mean, it's yeah. really, it's really difficult to do. And this episode really played it well. Because it does come down to, I'm in a command role, and you are my crew member, and I may have to put you in harm's way, and I don't want to do that. And so she played it really, really well. You, she, she played the piano, and she touched upon Picard on his musical side. And so for her connection with, you know, that character, uh, it's it's hard. It's it almost makes it it's hard to compute in my head though that how long ago that episode must have been for her to be 61 and, and passing away it's, it's almost hard to compute yeah 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 it's hard to play opposite patrick stewart i think in any situation because he's such a powerful actor and she did do a great job and that's a, a great episode a very memorable episode and you know it's we know her from Star Trek. We know her as this character from Star Trek, but it, that was just a little blip for her in her career. I mean, she had such a huge acting career. We got our information from Australian sources, news sources. And as they, of course, Star Trek being an American show, maybe they don't list it, but, you know, Star Trek is really a global show. And that was, and Patrick Stewart is such a huge star. But there was no mention of her Star Trek role in there because she had so many other roles. She actually became one of Australia's best recognized actresses. She won the Australian Film Institute Award for Best Actress in 1983 for her role in Careful, He Might Hear You. And just went on to be in so many movies, uh, starting with Newsfront in 1978, running all the way through to The Man Who Sued God in 2001. And, you know, she continued as I understand it, to do stage, uh, they made the announcement that she had passed away, you know, at the, um, at the acting company there. It's, it's really sad. And 61, fortunately, when the Star Trek actors have been passing away this year, we've been able to say, you know, they lived very long lives and very full lives. And certainly she lived a full life. 61 is still uh, quite a young age, though. And um, it makes me a little uncomfortable as I advance in age, too, to think that, you know, you never know. 
uh, how, how long there is. But at least uh, Wendy Hughes left behind a lot of great material for us to enjoy. And, and of course, this role in the next generation that we all as Star Trek fans will, will always have with us. No, I think it, it was a very, uh, it's a very fitting thing to think about. Um, you know, when someone like this passes, you often think about what, like you said, what do you know them from? And while many of these other you know movies or plays or things from Australia, we, we wouldn't know her from. But from what we have experienced, uh, her acting ability, it, it's not hard to see how she was beloved by her country and, and by, you know, those who worked with her. As I'm sure, you know, being a guest on on Star Trek, I'm sure that the cast felt the same way about her. Yeah, and yeah. I'm sure Patrick Stewart to to a point as well. Yeah, definitely. So our condolences to Wendy's family and and her children who she left behind. And we'll always remember her work. And related to this, Darren, our next story is the release of the TNG Season 6 Blu-rays and Lessons, the episode that Wendy Hughes was in is in season six. It's the 19th episode of season six. In fact, I believe. So uh, we will be seeing her performance in high definition come this summer. The set is due out in June. CBS has released the trailer for the collection and uh, we've had a chance to watch it. What did you think about it? It was a great trailer. I mean, it's almost like as Trek progressed you know, obviously the the stories got better and, and the effects got better, but it's almost like as the trailers progress, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, we don't need to see the beauty shots of the Enterprise in space, you know, every yeah. three frames. I mean, we get to see, oh, this episode and that episode. And I, I like how they kind of packaged it because you had these different kind of themes you had you know the legends the history and like then the inner demons uh going to like chain of command where picard's being you know that's the famous uh there are four lights you know scene and yeah i i, I don't know how i feel about watching that scene in high definition that's that's going to be an interesting experience i i think that you know the power of that scene what's amazing about that is that chain of command was released in December of 1992. And now here we are nearly 22 years after that. And I watched the trailer for Chain of Command as well. And it looks like something that was shot for a TV show where that episode is going to be coming out next week. And just the power of that story and the power of those performances and how relevant they are to what's happening in the world today is that power is going to come through so much more in HD and it's it's a commentary on how Star Trek is is timeless and how the themes of these stories just stick with us but on on a more positive note it will give us Scotty in glorious HD because we get yeah. relics uh you know so we get to see him and you know Jordy in the Dyson sphere I'm looking forward mm -hmm. to seeing that in HD but there's some other characters though that I think will be some a certain portion of the Trek community will be very excited to see in HD for the first time. Well, definitely. Well, I, as a Niner, I had to let out a squee at the beginning of this trailer <laughs> because we get a scene from Birthright. And you mentioned characters, and yeah, it's great to see Dr. Bashir for the first time in HD. But for me, what was even greater was just before we see that, 
when they pan down from the Enterprise and there's Deep Space Nine. There's oh, the station yeah. in HD. And it's such a tease. It's like this. I mean, the next generation, this whole remastering project has been fantastic. And the episodes look absolutely brilliant. Been very well received. Such a wonderful, wonderful job with it. But from a set design standpoint and a filmography standpoint and a lighting standpoint, they really elevated their game on Deep Space Nine. You know, they really, the textures that are in that show, the lighting, just the, 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 grandiose nature of those sets that they built those are going to be so absolutely amazing in hd and that little scene at the beginning of this season six trailer just really made my mouth start watering more for when we finally get ds9 on blu-ray i think you're right i I definitely think as next gen wrapped up and everyone transferred you know i mean obviously it was before next gen wrapped up but as people were transferring to deep space nine you know, they weren't having to invent the wheel. It was like, okay, we know how to make a great Star Trek series and we're going to hit it right from the go. But you had, I mean, just the promenade, just the fact that when you're standing in the middle of the promenade, you, it is a fully encompassing set, which is, I mean, yes, the bridge and and a few other places on the Enterprise could be worked in that way, but I've heard it said for people who who walked onto that set, you literally felt like you were on the station. Like you were there, yeah. Yeah. So it was a different thing. So that really caught my eye in this trailer, absolutely. But the the scene which you mentioned with Scotty, you know, there's there was the long rumored scene with Troy and Scotty that was cut because you, you wonder like why did Scotty never meet Troy? You would think that as the counselor on the ship She's the one person he would meet. You've got this guy from the past trying to cope with being on this ship. Uh, but but there really was a scene with her, and that's going to be on there, and they actually show a little bit of it there in the trailer. Yeah, I think it's something like, so what exactly does the ship counselor do? Right. <laughs> but And then she tells him, and he goes, you're a psychologist. It's like, yes, exactly. That's what she is. Why don't you let her do that on the show a little bit more? Yeah, she needs some DDSs or something after her name or some sort of letters and periods <laughs> combination right. thereof. But it's a great scene. And, you know, seeing the inside of the Dyson Sphere, as you mentioned, is going to be great in HD. Seeing the Enterprise original bridge in HD, not such a big thing because, of course, we have we have the TOS Blu-rays, which we've had for a long time. But seeing, seeing uh, Scotty there in his movie-era uniform uh, on that bridge on The Next Generation will be great. I did want to ask you... What uh, episodes from season six are you most looking forward to seeing remastered? Uh, I think first off, I would have to say uh, Starship Mine because it's just such a fun episode. Mm-hmm. But you know, at least in if you're talking about you know HD graphics, that Baryon sweep I think was such a really cool effect. How it just slowly worked its way through the Enterprise, you know, from Uh, from the back to the front. And so, you know, obviously it's not just about seeing it in, in high definition. It's also just everything, you know, coming through richer and fuller. Yeah. So that's one of my favorite episodes from season six. Plus you'll get to see Tuvok in HD for the first time. Exactly. I mean, (laughs) his hair is a little different and the ears are a little different, but I mean, come on, we all, we all know it's really, of course we did get to see him in, in generations, a glimpse of him, right? That's true. Well, Tim Russ, he's just, Maybe maybe don't introduce people 
through this episode because you don't want to have to field, you know, well, why is he on Voyager and what, what yeah. is going on? And, you know, why are we stealing things from the en- engines? But I think, uh, and actually I- I'm, oh gosh, story-wise, okay, maybe it's not the greatest, but I actually do enjoy The Chase. I know it's not the greatest episode. I love The Chase. The Chase is one of my favorite TNG episodes. It's directed by Jonathan Frakes, who, I mean, Jonathan, being directed by Jonathan Frakes got me to see Thunderbirds and many other films that I probably wouldn't have seen. But he's a great director. He's a great TNG director. And it's a great mystery. And... Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not you agree with the whole seated of the universe and whatever, but that doesn't matter. It's more about, it's a very Roddenberry-esque message though, you know, of that we're all, and it kind of does at least try to patch why most aliens in Star Trek look like humans with a little bit of putty on their forehead. But, yeah. uh, but I, I enjoy that. And I think that one, uh, which should be a lot of fun to, to see. What about you, Chris? Uh, what what is? Are you ready to pop into your your new queue? Well, well, the chase for sure because that is one of my favorite DNG episodes. I, I'm also looking forward to because of the trailer. I'm looking forward to seeing Tapestry because I've the whites of that scene where Picard goes up to heaven. If when you he will, meets the prophets, Q. I mean, Q. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the the purity of that white is is it's very interesting to me just as a, a creative and designer to see how that comes through because, you know, I'm used to seeing it nasty and it doesn't have that same impact. So I'm interested in that one. Plus seeing Picard in the, the movie era uniforms, seeing Patrick Stewart and mm. that, seeing how they did the details and all there is going to be very interesting. Also for me, schisms mm. is one very, very creepy and seeing that table, seeing those instruments that those aliens are using, it's in HD. I don't know if the sound is going to actually be any different. <laughs> Seven point one clicks. <laughs> but that's a creepy episode, and the the visuals of that, if you if it feels more real to you, is it's going to be even creepier. Yeah, I think you were, we were talking for a moment before about just the the look and the color palette and the, and the use of shadow and TNG, but a, a, a bit different to that rule would be a fistful of datas because okay. much of it is shot in the old West. And so you have yeah. the sun and the desert and the, the wood. And so at least seeing it in an HD image, maybe not data and drag coming down the banister. I, I don't know if I really <laughs> need to see that in HD, but, but the rest uh, I, I, I am looking forward to that one as well. Well, I was also going to say Times Arrow Part Two because I know. I mean, who doesn't like love Samuel Clemens? I mean, really, oh, a lot of pe- a lot of people don't don't like that episode. I know, but um, I think it's a fun episode. But I, again, whenever they do something where the the scenery and the set design and all is very different than what we're accustomed to just seeing around the ship, those are the things I, I really want to see in HD because they put so much attention to detail into all of their set design work. And you, you just, when you watch these shows in HD, you discover all kinds of stuff that you never knew were in the episodes. So time zero, is going to be another one. I mean, pretty much any episode. I mean, like, like I've said many times before, when I first got season one on HD and I'm like, okay, it's season one. 
some of the stories, okay, and then a shot of the Enterprise exterior would come, and I would just say, okay, it's all worth it. I don't even care. Just, just, <laughs> yeah. it's you, just, it's bits between shots of the beautiful, beautiful Enterprise. But it, season one has grown on me a lot more. But yeah, it's just, it, there's, it's such a such a privilege to have this coming out in in HD. It, it just looks so so good, and they did such Definitely. a good job on it. You know, they're, they're stretching the timeline out quite a bit because this is going to be June to get season six and then season five came in was it beginning of january or was it december i forget now it wasn't so january it was it was i know i got it for christmas so it was it okay, must have I been december, like maybe yeah like november yeah. last year so instead of having the maybe roughly three month two to three month range between seasons now we're having like six or seven months before we get the next one and then after that, I don't know, you know, season seven, I know it'll be out before Christmas again, but I think it'll be a while. I don't know what that means in terms of why they're slowing down so much. I hope it means that they're secretly working on DS9. And I hope uh, so too. That would be some resources. Now, I've heard some other people say that it's because they're keeping it all in house with CBS instead of farming it out. Cause you know, they farmed out season two and it was, they had a, those issues. It yeah. Was subpar and they need more time and that makes perfect sense too. So it, maybe that's all it is, but, but we'll see, but you can pre-order season six right now. The list price is as usual, 129.99, which is insane. The current pre-order price for Amazon is $90 and 99 cents. It'll drop down to between 64 and 72, probably by the time it ships. And of course, if you pre-order, you'll get the lowest price before release date. Uh, so pre-ordering is a great way to show CBS that we want these sets. And so that we'll then get DS9 and we'll get Voyager as well when those come along. Uh, Chain of Command feature-length Blu-ray is also available for pre-order. It's $20.99 right now on Amazon. This price is $29.99. That one will probably only drop down to like 17 by release time if it follows the pattern of past seasons. So... um we will uh, let you know when we find out more about this, but go watch that trailer because it's it's a really great trailer and the show looks really, really beautiful. Well, one more news item today, Darren, and this is comic news. And this is something we don't talk about so much on the Ready Room because we have literary treks and that's where we talk about books and comics every week. This one, however, was big enough that I felt we needed to talk about it on the Ready Room because IDW has announced that they are going to be working together with Harlan Ellison to bring his original script for The City on the Edge of Forever to life as a five-part comic series. Now, it's famously known to Star Trek fans that The City on the Edge of Forever, as wonderful as that episode is, and it's you know considered to be one of the best television episodes ever, the greatest Star Trek episodes ever, it was not the same script that Harlan Ellison wrote. And, you know, there's, there was a lot of bad blood between Harlan Ellison and Roddenberry and, and the, whole, the whole Star Trek franchise about the changes that were made over the years. The original script has been released as a book, but this comic project looks really, really interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, there's been many things that have often been, you know, drastically changed or rewritten. And it's kind of hard, definitely, for an author because you lose... Or writer, you you lose a lot of. Well, this is what I was wanting to do, and I mean, I I, I mean, I've had things I've worked on where I kind of will purposely confine myself because if this was ever to actually be on television, I'm like, well, I can't. 
you can easily write a million dollar episode like to produce or a $10,000 episode to produce. And it, it will definitely drastically affect what actually gets made. And especially in, in 19, you know, sixties television, I'm sure his grand scope was grand, but I'm sure a good portion of it was probably budgetary. Yeah, and creative differences too, and like what the character is going to do. But yeah, yeah, what you say is right. And I think another thing that happened in this case and with other things with the original Star Trek is that they were bringing in these science fiction authors who were accustomed to writing their novels, writing their short stories, and being in control of it, and not expecting that someone else is going to change that. And you know that can be can be a sticky point in the creative process, and I think that might be why there was some hard feelings here about this. But the if you're wondering why IDW is doing this right now, one explanation has been given by Chris Rael, the chief creative officer at IDW. He said that presenting Harlan Ellison's brilliant original script for City on the Edge has been a goal of ours since IDW first began publishing Star Trek comics in 2007. Okay, well that might be true, but I think there's something bigger at play here, Darren. Fact is, it's 47 years after the fact. That's it. So that, that's, that's the real it. reason. That's the reason. It's 47 years. They were just waiting for, for 47 years to roll around. I wouldn't be surprised if it came out 47 years, 47 days, and 47 hours and minutes to to the second, you know, because that's just yeah. the way the Star Trek world works. That's right. <laughs> but but no, um, they said that the episode justifies its position atop best Star Trek episodes lists, but even it ain't nothing. And that's how it's phrased on StarTrek.com. It ain't nothing compared to what Ellison did in his original teleplay. This is truly going to be a Star Trek adventure unlike any other even to fans who have that beloved episode memorized. And I, Darren, do you read the comics, the Star Trek comics that IDW does? No, I haven't really gotten that much into comics, but what I'm excited about with this printing is it makes me think a lot about the animated series because there were a lot of yeah. stories that were told in the animated series that, again, because of scope and scale and budget and you know, you could have weird aliens or something truly fantastical happen and you could animate it way cheaper yeah. or easier than putting it in a live action show. So if his, you know, if his ideas are really that big and grand, then they should be able to turn those into a, you know, a five part that everyone is going to want all five parts and they're going to in, just dive into this story. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited and, and glad for him that this is really going to be a good, you know, adaptation or, or just revelation of his, of his work. Yeah. Yeah. That's something we often talk about with the comics that you can build any set you want, right? You don't have those restrictions. The the comics that they've been doing recently, the Star Trek ongoing comics, which are set in the Abrams verse, are really well done. For the most of the issues are are very interesting. They've done some where they've gotten into some pretty deep stories. And the other series that they do as well, like the recent Khan series, for example, are really well done. And if you go back to something like Blood Will Tell, which was a Klingon series that they did a while back, I believe it's from 2007 
that was really, really a great platform for telling this story that was sort of a prequel to The Undiscovered Country, where they're trying to decide whether on the Klingons are trying to decide whether they're going to support the Gorkon initiative or not after Praxis exploded. But those are written by Scott and David Tipton, and they're also working on this project with Harlan Ellison and Ellison will serve as a guide to Scott and David Tipton on this. And I think if you haven't read the comics, I really recommend when this comes out in June, we don't have an exact date yet sometime in June, Pick this up and try it because I think that if you're you're thinking, ah, I'm not interested in comics, you're going to be surprised, I really think, about the quality of the story and the quality of the artwork and how it brings things to life for you. Now, is uh, IDW, are they the ones who produced that short kind of transitional comic that was, uh, it came out right before the yeah. 2009 JJ was yeah. released? I did see some of that where, yeah. okay, Laura's back and he's old data and here's old Spock <laughs> yeah. and then they're going to go over here and then now we're back in the past. And I, I remember seeing some of that because, and I guess the main reason I didn't really bite into it was, I felt like, okay, whatever story is presented to me from this movie should be enough to stand on its own. Like, I shouldn't yeah. necessarily need to have read the comic to really get what the transition was. And to the most part, I didn't really need to, but, you know, I just, it wasn't enough to, to hook me in that way. Right. Well, yes, they are the ones doing that. And the, the lead into 2009, the Countdown comic, that one was kind of eh, so great. They're kind of stretching there. Countdown to Darkness was a lot better. It was much okay. more tightly integrated with the story that we actually saw on screen, and it served as a good lead in. After Darkness was, eh, it was not as necessary. The Khan series was quite good for helping to enhance the movie. But those are overseen by Roberto Orsi, so you actually have the writing team from the movies overseeing those comics as well, and uh, that helps a lot. And that's it's just how J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot do things. I mean, this you go back to their TV shows, you go back to Lost. You know, they had the supplemental website for Lost, and they had books and materials that, if you read them, it filled in a lot of gaps for the TV show, but you didn't have to read them in order to to follow it along. And it's, it's just their marketing approach, but, but it's, but, but they're very good. I, I, I think sometimes people think of comics as being a kid's thing. Um, of course I living in Japan, I don't have that view so much because of, of manga here, but, uh, give it a try when it comes out some, sometime in June, it's going to be out and I'm looking forward to it. All right, Darren. Well, that's all we have in news today. Before we jump into the feature, where we're going to be joined by your cohorts from Earl Grey, Philip, and Daniel to talk about the TNG episode Emergence, we'd like to tell everyone about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks. They have more than 150,000 titles for you to choose from on the site, and they're adding new titles every single week, hundreds of titles, in fact. They have new releases, bestsellers, they have uh, business, comedy, mystery, whatever it is you like to read. They have lots of Star Trek books as well. And every week we like to recommend a book here on The Ready Room. And as it's TNG week, Darren, I thought I would ask you to recommend something to everyone. Well, I would definitely recommend this book. It's called Dark Mirror. 
and it's written by Diane Duane and narrated by John Delancey. So, I mean, right there, you get Q narrating in your ear for however long this, this book's last. But it's a mirror universe episode, as it were, for TNG, which we never got in, in the series. We never got that. And it is expertly written. Uh, so it's over 100 years ago. And four crew members of the USS Enterprise, they've crossed the dimensional mirror barrier and found, you know, uh, this mirror images of their own universe. And it's populated by, you know, the nightmare duplicates of their shipmates, you know, the, the goatee wearing, you know, fiends. Uh, that's how we tell them apart. They're barely able to escape with their lives. They return, thankfully, that the accident which had brought them there could not be duplicated, or so they thought. And so you kind of have this hook of you know a bit of past where like oh this is going to be a mirror universe oh this is going to be a good one but now you know there's scientists that the empire and this of course we're on the mirror side and that's what's really cool is, is a lot of the story is taking place from the mirror side it's not necessarily us stepping over oh and and we're here it's more like them trying to get to our side and that's really the the whole goal so scientists of the empire they found a doorway into our universe and their plan is to destroy it from within to replace a Federation starship with one of their own. Hmm, which Federation starship yeah. could they possibly want to replace? I would choose the crazy horse, personally. The crazy horse. Or the hood. I mean, it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, Trailing behind, uh, you know, ready to pick up and drop off admirals at will. Yeah. So their victims are the crew of the Enterprise 1701D, who now find themselves engaged in combat against their most savage enemies they have ever encountered themselves. Okay, yes, that sounds like, you know, like the back of a book cover, because it's, you know, trying to, to pump it up. But it is really fun, because you have, I mean, Mirror Troy scares me. I'm just going to say. Well, she, I tell you, she really rocks that goatee. Well, okay, maybe maybe not so much the goatee, but she is like, she's really the one in charge, and she uses her empathic powers to just bend the crew to her will, and and so on top of that, you have Picard. I mean, everyone is just scowling and and just out for themselves. The Enterprise itself is an awesome character in quotes because it's not the enterprise we've grown to love. There's no cetacean ops. There's no holodecks, no fun. It's been beefed up with so much freaking weaponry and overpowered. Like it's just going to tear the enterprise, our, our enterprise apart. So you get some great scenes because for once, you know, the, the mirror side is, is more powerful. It's not, again, it's not just us stepping over there and then, you know, and then back. Yeah, it's a it's a great book, Darren. This is in the pre-Audible days. This is one of the books that I had on cassette tape. And I listened to it in the car all the time as I'm driving around and, and wore the tape out. And so I was glad when Audible came along and I was able to pick it up again, but in a digital format that I couldn't wear out no matter how many times I listened to it. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get this book as well, absolutely free, just for trying Audible for 30 days. If you just go over to audibletrial.com slash trekfilm and sign up for the trial, you can pick Dark Mirror or any book you want and get that absolutely free. And if at the end of your trial, you decide not to stick with Audible, but I know you're going to. If you're listening to podcasts, you're going to love Audible and audiobooks. But if you don't, for some reason, 
you get to keep this book. That's yours. So there's absolutely nothing to lose. But by supporting Audible, you'll be supporting the Ready Room and the network. Like, like Darren says, this is a fantastic book. And uh, go pick it up, audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for supporting the Ready Room and the network. of the Enterprise D, like all past enterprises, was to seek out new life. And TNG wrapped up the series by doing just that and discovering one of the most unusual life forms we'd ever seen, created by the ship itself. And that is the episode Emergence. And today we're going to talk about that episode. And to help us do that, we have a full-scale invasion of Earl Grey again this week. Of course, Darren's been with me all through news today, but joining him are his cohorts in tea-sipping, TNG-dissecting fine. It's Philip Gilfus and Daniel Prue. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. Hello again. Oh, oh Darren's in this? <laughs> Darren, this is not your turn. Oh. <laughs> it's good to have you guys back. It feels like a long time since we did TNG on the Ready Room because we did a special show last week with Star Trek Continues, but we're back into our normal cycle now. And I asked you guys what episode you wanted to do, and someone, a couple of people actually threw out Emergence. So I jumped on that because this is an episode that when I, I hear often from fans that they don't really like this episode. Maybe they think it's too silly, it's too ridiculous, something about it. But I've always really liked this episode since the very first time it came on. So I thought it sounded like a great topic. Yeah, and if we're continuing our Cliff Bowl Memorial Week, you know, this was a Cliff Bowl-directed episode. So um, It was. Sort of continuing at least what we talked about in our last episode with uh, the Hollow Pursuits Cliff Bowl episode. So, Yeah, I remember okay. that tossing out ideas a little differently. It wasn't so much, oh, we should do Emergence. It was more, new Vodafone City coming up to the next stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, what, what happened was we actually chose another episode, and then suddenly this one just appeared out of nowhere. And so it was the weirdest thing. <laughs> right. And then someone said, we've been on the wrong track the whole time. Now we're on the right track. And everyone who always hated TNG laughed as the second to last episode finally gave them some cannon fodder against uh, against the series. <laughs> well, if you're going to end the series, you want to end it like, you know what we haven't done? Holodeck malfunction. Are you sure we've done that several times? No, no, no. no. We want to end this series with a bad holodeck malfunctioning. But the, but the okay, malfunction's I... so great, it just, it's got to do something awesome. It's the malfunction to top all of the other malfunctions, so it just kind of piles on itself. It's a cascading malfunction. We're going to make this malfunction so big, no other series would dream of doing a malfunctioning holodeck after this. I mean, that would be crazy as if some series completely continued to do this. 
<laughs> well, before we really get into the story here, because the holodeck is going to be the first topic, a quick rundown for anyone listening who hasn't seen this episode in a long time, or if you saw it the first time it came on and said, I'm not watching that again, and you've never seen it since. This is the episode where the Enterprise mysteriously goes to warp, then mysteriously drops out of warp. All kinds of crazy things are happening on the holodeck. Picard and Data almost get run over by a steam locomotive. And as the episode goes on, they discover that the Enterprise seems to be coming to life, or at least giving birth to a life form, by connecting systems that were never connected before, by using the replicators and the transporters uh, to create new objects. And eventually, a new life form is created and wanders off into space. And along the way, Troy gets to do some counseling, which she usually didn't get to do. And uh, Jordy and Data get to have not one, but two PowerPoint sessions. And <laughs> it's just got all kinds of TNG goodness rolled up into one. So that's the episode we're going to talk about today. And the first topic is what you guys were just saying about the holodeck and doing one more holodeck malfunction. And Brandon Braga wanted to throw in one more holodeck story before the series ended. They thought about doing another Dixon Hill story. Then they decided that that might be a little bit too familiar. So instead they set out to create what they thought would be the ultimate holodeck story. And we see at one point data says there are seven distinct programs running at the same time. Do you guys feel like this was actually the ultimate holodeck story? Well, it does make you wonder what were those seven programs? Like, really, if you had to name them, like, <laughs> it's the medieval one, then you also have your mobster one, and it starts to fall apart. Like, did, did now, Chris, did you know, now I know Matt would be the better person to ask, but did you know Beverly had a secret fascination with trains? <laughs> <laughs> I did not. In in fact, uh, I'm glad you brought this up, Philip, because the 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 entire scene that Picard and Beverly have is about one upping each other with pointless trivia about the yeah. Orient Express that they each have. Well, did you know? Well, Beverly, I knew that, but did you know this? And it's like, I'm, what is the point of the scene? I don't. At some at one time, there were over ten thousand people per year on the Orient Express. I'm like, thanks, Captain Picard. The more you know, it's like. It's just so it silly. reminded me of the um, small talk scene with Data <laughs> and that one commander. Hutchinson, call me Hutch. They... <laughs> <laughs> well, did you know? I was aware of that. Yeah, exactly. You know? exactly. Well, I, if, I think if Wesley had still been around, he would have been like, seven programs, it'd be really hard for someone to get bored on a ship like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the program where the knight is fashioning the paper doll I think that's one of Wesley's programs. <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 this holodeck, though, did have a... It felt like they were running maybe the TOS episode holodeck program because it looked suspiciously like a studio backlot. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, this is really <laughs> right. weird in that scene where they get off and, and they're following the, the mobster Capone type guy. And it's it's just so strange seeing two people in Starfleet uniforms walking around a very obvious like America town backlot. It's just, it's really, really weird. I imagined Krakow would show up any moment. <laughs> right. Well, this was the, the Paramount New York street backlot 
and they really didn't change it for this. They just went and shot it. But, you know, in this episode, they can get away with it because there's just so much weird <laughs> crap going on all the time that you could they could really take absolutely anything they wanted and just throw it in here. And you really can't question it because ultimately this is just the ship's imagination at work. It's a very neurotic ship. I mean, now I will admit, after seven <laughs> years of us doing what we did to this ship, it has a lot to be worrying about and, and being neurotic about. But it's it's very confused. I, like it, I, the scene I was talking about um, on the other side of the room. The other side of the room. We were talking about where, where the... Uh, what was the woman like the was she like a princess or what is she dressed as but anyway she's like feeding the night she's a flapper she's from like the 20s oh yeah flapper she's like drink come on come on drink mr knight like his drink (laughs) like it reminded me of family guy when peter griffin's trying to feed the tv food like it just doesn't make this is a weird episode i mean not not in a bad way but this is a very surreal episode that part of the computer was stuck in a in a causality loop yeah yeah i like the causality loop analogy daring because i think that's what it was there you know it's the computer is trying to figure things out the ship's trying to figure things out as we'll talk about later it's very much like a child you know learning looking around the world seeing things and trying to figure things out as it goes and this is a point where the the ship is just stuck and she's just clanking well if the ship sees with its sensors and moves with its warp drive but it doesn't have the option of looking out a window like Jordy. So if it doesn't have sensors, it's really in trouble. I mean, that that's a that's a big disadvantage. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, Daniel, I, I know we've talked about this before, but since we're talking about this exact episode, you know, we saw a lot of the ship systems um, represented by people. Where was Citation Ops represented in this train? <laughs> <laughs> well, Citation Ops is, is uh, an independent system, clearly, because, uh, you know, it needs, for security reasons, as we know, there are some pretty important officers in Citation Ops, so they, they kind of keep them a little bit separated from the rest of the ship. Kind of like Voyager keeps the holodeck on a separate power grid. Yes. Citation Ops is on a, just a separate thing altogether. Now, Daniel, I was about to bring that up. Voyager, yes, has the holodeck. It uses a separate power grid. So whatever goes on on the ship, they lose power. They can still use the holodeck. The Enterprise-D doesn't work that way, except maybe in this episode, because remember, the ship cuts all systems except propulsion to get to that star, to get to New Vertiform City, and the holodeck keeps going the whole time. How How is that possible? Is it hydro-powered? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm a little concerned, though, because the only water on that train is in the boiler, is steam. So, I mean, <laughs> if that's for cessation ops, is, I, 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 I don't know how to tell you this, but um, I think... Uh, <laughs> oh, no, don't say it, Darren. I'll just, don't I'll just say leave it. it at that. <laughs> I think the fish had little suits of armor on themselves to protect them from the boiling water. and i I don't want to change tracks cough but um (laughs) like like the the dedication to holodeck stories like in the beginning opening scene we have once again shakespeare yay wonderful um with which we you know we don't talk enough about picard being a director because he's he's directed data in several plays he did ebenezer data and ebenezer uh he did them in henry the fifth i may be getting my henry's wrong and, but he did it. He did it with Henry the Fifth and Defector. So Picard has this. I, he's he's like a director. Does he has he told Beverly? Is this like a secret thing that he doesn't know about? 
but remember, Philip, he's clearly getting sick of it at this point because he was falling asleep when Data was saying and his that, lines. So I can barely and see And last anything. time he did an impersonation, <laughs> he was moving from topic to topic in one unbroken sentence. And I mean, it wasn't really that that good of an impression. Let's just let's just say. But but that's a dedication. Like Data had like a crazy wig and makeup. Like the Data himself. You know, this isn't just like I'll go to the holodeck and put his cloak on. It's like. He spent time putting that wig on as Prospero. You know, to get a little bit back onto what uh, Chris had brought up about, like, the ultimate holodeck episode, I kind of, and I know it's really, it's just such a weird episode, but I kind of wish it had gone further. Like, what came to mind when I was watching it um, earlier this evening was when the taxi tried to run over Data, I'm like, wouldn't it make more sense for the taxi to have been the train? (laughs) Like, to try to, I, I know they probably didn't do that because of, like, budgetary reasons and stuff, but, like, I wish that, like, they had gone just a, a little bit extra and, like, just thrown the train everywhere, just barreling through places that it shouldn't have been <laughs> like it did in the beginning. It would have been just awesome. This isn't Back to the Future 3, Daniel. The train can't <laughs> fly. So they could have used the Dixon Hill element, and in one moment they're in Dixon Hill's office, and then the train <laughs> just barrels through the office. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And and another thing I was thinking about too is like every time the conductor is like you guys have to get off the train. Like I'm like do they just throw them off the train? I don't know what happens. Like they just the next scene they cut to and they're in the corridor, but I'm like if the safeties are off and you get pushed off of a moving train, do you not get hurt at least pretty seriously? Well, I feel like if you don't have a ticket to a train, you just go into the car behind you. You don't have a ticket? Yeah, sorry, I'll just I'll go back here. Is that cool? All right. That's the, the the train ticket part was interesting to me because I saw it as the conductor being like the immune system. If you think of the ship as coming to life, the conductor is checking tickets to find out if these people are part of the body or not. Now, now we sound like Landrews here, right? <laughs> They're part of the body, but but the tickets, it's like the check of the immune system and if you don't have a ticket, then you're not part of the body and you need to be destroyed and, and kicked out so that you don't harm the, the life form as it's developing. But it's really easy. You know, you get a ticket, you disguise yourself as being part of the body, and then he's okay with you. Though I have a question. Shouldn't the ship have stopped moving once they killed the engineer? No. Because he's no, because they had a very strong Klingon at that point to, to shovel some <laughs> but coal. He represented yes. the because entire propulsion gonna... system. They like killed the engine. Literally, they killed the engines. You can't. I don't know. It's a very suicidal ship. I think. <laughs> Which, by the way, that actor I love. He's a great character actor. He's been in the West Wing. He was in Star Trek Generations. He was one of the old people in the Enterprise B bridge. There um, are many old yes, people. Yes, but he plays. He always plays like an older, like national security advisor or something. Yeah. In fact, I was going to mention him. It's Thomas Kopachi. He is like a Jeffrey Combs within Star Trek. He is everywhere. He has played. How many characters? Do you know how many characters he's played on Star Trek? No. You, you remember 47. him? 47. Not 47. Just throwing a random number. <laughs> 47, he would top Jeffrey Combs, not 47. <laughs> oh, no. I can actually picture him in a couple of roles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's actually played seven different characters. Oh, I was going to say seven. He, he was the Romulan scientist. Mirak in the next phase. Mm-hmm. He was, as you said, the Enterprise B communications officer in Generations. He was also Viorsa, who is the planner of the coal settlement in the Thaw on Voyager. He's the one that contacted Voyager to tell them 
to shut down the systems before the clown killed him. And he he's also Kira's father, Kira Tabain, in Ties of Blood and Water and Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night. He's one of the Vulcan diplomats at the beginning of Broken Bow, Toss. And he's the sphere builder test subject in Harbinger. Oh, wow. Who is, you know, is like dissolving as, as the sphere builders are trying to see if the expanse is suitable for them yet or not. Oh, you mean the prophets? And then he's the train engineer here. <laughs> the prophets. <laughs> so he really is everywhere. <laughs> I know. I think Jeffrey Combs still has him beat. No, no I think yeah. my, my favorite scene involving the holodeck was um, when the, the conductor is like, how about you, young man? You're a pretty big guy. You've got some shoulders. Why don't you shovel the coal? And like the sheer disdain Worf has. That's <laughs> <laughs> like a good like 30 second eye roll scene. It's, it's, it's that, yeah, it was really funny. And like, I'm like, oh, so they're going to get Worf to do it instead of the indestructible, non tiring Android data who could have done it a thousand times faster. Yeah. They're just going to get Worf to do it because. You know, he forgot the tickets, so that's probably why he has to do it. So. <laughs> Klingons do not shovel. <laughs> <laughs> and I love, I just, I love in that box, the guy's just watching him. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Make sure you get a good rhythm to <laughs> it. Like, it's so I, I want you to know I'm much obliged by this. <laughs> this way I can sit on my butt and watch you do this work. <laughs> That conductor must have been both from both Minnesota and like South Carolina because those accents were starting to mix together there. It's time <laughs> for me to go check the tickets yeah. again. No, I need to say. check them every five minutes. <laughs> and that, and right. that, and I, and I think if you watch very, very closely um, at that scene, I know Worf's back is kind of turned to the camera, but that's the moment you'll know that Worf decided he he was going to transfer to deep space. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, nope, I'm done yeah, with don't this. Do any work Could you nobody, say nobody the die listens. was cast? <laughs> exactly. While we're on the topic, uh, oh, speaking of Data maybe being the one that should have been doing something, how did you guys feel when Troy walks over, she sees them working the puzzle, it's got a picture of the node on it, and Worf goes over to, and uh, Worf and Troy both say they don't recognize it. They don't know what it is. If Data had seen it, so much would have made sense to him. He's already seen the node in the Jeffreys too. Well, it's been funny because it's actually been a long while since I've seen this episode. Um, and when they first panned to it, I'm like, oh, it's the node. And, and, not like, yeah. and they're like, I don't know what it is. What do you think? I have no idea. I'm like, what are you, stupid guys? I mean, it's obviously <laughs> the node. Now, if well, the I iPhone thought... had made it into the 24th century, you know, Worf could have just pulled up his phone, taken a picture of it. And then when they had one of their 18 meetings in this episode, they could have all compared notes saying, this is what was on the puzzle. Oh my goodness. They, that's, that's totally avoidable in the first place because data already had had his PowerPoint presentation at that point and had showed them like, this is what my positronic ah, looks like. This yeah. is what the ship is starting. Yeah, yeah. If he had gone one slide further, he would have been like, and this is the node that Jordan found <laughs> in, in the Jeffrey's tube. Well, so. This the is problem, the node Photoshopped at the beach. That, <laughs> the problem is that Starfleet, they, they only wanted to buy office standard. They didn't buy office professional. And that <laughs> clip art was not in the standard collection. <laughs> and <laughs> so data couldn't use the clip art of that node in his PowerPoint presentation. They probably forgot to register their <laughs> software too. <laughs> so data data opens uh he opens powerpoint and little clippy comes by and yeah. says hey i see you're trying to tell people about the, you know, the holodeck's trying to take over your ship can i help <laughs> you with that like 
I like Philip's point. This is what we're going to see when season seven comes out on Blu-ray and we can very clearly see those screens now. Down in the bottom corner, it's going to say, this copy of PowerPoint is unregistered. <laughs> you know, Data gave them a fake you email. May be, you, know. you may be running uh, unregistered software. Counterfeit software. Counterfeit software. <laughs> I've done a test. I need to call into Starfleet Academy and register this. Would you like to click yes if you'd like to restart your computer? Are we saying that Data's using pi- pirated software? Yes. Well, you know, Android is, is open source, so generally he doesn't have to worry about, you know, software licenses. Well, uh, you know, Daniel, how do you feel? Because I thought about you during this episode where they're trying to, like, scan the thing in the Jeffrey's tube, and they pull out a tube to connect it. Because I know you're big on your wireless. Why yeah. isn't everything wireless? <laughs> I was really surprised that nobody thought, like, like, so they open this panel, and we have this node here. And they can't get through it because there's some sort of force field blocking but like nobody wants to like teleport it out of there or anything shoot like, the force field with a phaser because we know i mean it's not like we don't know how to bring force fields down <laughs> that's what I mean, data is the master of force him. fields <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they're just like uh eh. they they tried to like go through it with their fingers twice to try to poke <laughs> it twice and then they're like well we're done and they never even go back into the thing to talk to the node or figure out what's going on they're just well, like, if data had an emotion cool. he would be able to know Open sesame. <laughs> but the whole day they didn't know how to do it. Well, now if the nodes are taking over everywhere, I mean, could we have had a shot of the bridge and like half the view screen is taken over by like a giant node that's like growing out of the wall? I mean, really, I would. I think that we needed to see more node in this episode. More node. <laughs> more node in the episode. Well, Write that down. That's good. <laughs> Or like like a node would be growing right behind tactical, and Worf could kind of finally lean against it. <laughs> it's a chair. It's like a, a modern art chair, growing out of the floor, and then Worf can sit down. It's no strange than the chair he has in his quarters. <laughs> that's, that's now, considering this is the next to the next to the last, you know, what's the word for before penultimate um, episode? Again, it's the holodeck, like we were talking about. So you would think, like, okay, we know the holodeck now. We know how to present it. But like, think about how big we were doing this episode. How big is this holiday? Because we see it at the end, which is about the size of, like, the room I'm in now, which is not big. But somehow, like, three people were just spread out among, like, miles away. It's all perceptual. Well, I mean, there are multiple holodecks. Some are bigger than others. But we saw it at the end. That's that's a a, that no, that's dead. Just just don't. (laughs) I mean, just just have fun with that power node that was under the manhole. Where is that in the holodeck? Show me where that is on the floor. Well, I I do give data credit because for the first time in forever, they actually said, hey, let's turn off all the holodecks because they're acting up. We wouldn't <laughs> want someone to accidentally, you know, kill themselves. And then that's when they know the real trouble starting because the holodecks turn themselves back on. They they did a self restart and they're they're they're. Yeah, I, that's where you back away and you just you separate the saucer and run. <laughs> separate the yes, saucer. yes. That that could have been yeah. a viable option. I don't think they. But explored. one thing, real quick, just just a small thing. I have to say, like, you know, I know it's the holodeck and everything, but Data and Picard have a thirty second conversation about the train that's coming straight at their faces <laughs> before they decide to step two feet to the left or to the right. Yeah. Doesn't matter which way you want to go. Is this the time and, warp again? Uh, 
<laughs> it's true. They literally have to dramatically jump out of the way. Well, and speaking of that ends. moment and talking about how big is the holodeck, they're standing there. There's like a wall right behind them the whole time they're having this conversation. But then the train just barrels through and they turn and they see it going off into the distance. So it's just always adapting. It's perceptual. Yeah. It's always adapting itself no matter where you are in the room. Wait, did the train do a barrel roll? No, but Data does a barrel roll in this episode. Oh, he does. Yes. <laughs> the least dramatic barrel roll ever. <laughs> no, but that's when the true, taxi Daniel, is I... about to hit him, he barrel rolls <laughs> to safety. Uh, the taxi going five miles an hour almost hits Data. It's really scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about Troy a little bit because Troy is very central to this episode. She finally gets to do some actual counseling. In her uniform. Full commander rank. <laughs> in, yes, in her uniform. And except instead of counseling the crew, she's counseling the ship through holodeck characters at this point. So what, what do we think about Troy's role in the story? I have to say, you know, the entire episode, I was really impressed with Troy. Like, mm -hmm. really impressed with her. She volunteers, like, out of nowhere. Like, nobody says, hey, maybe Troy should go in there. She's like, hey, I can do this. This is kind of what I'm trained for. And, uh, you know, she's, she's not feeling any, any pain or anything. Like she's just actually being useful and helpful in a way that makes sense for her character. Like I, granted, I, I, I'm one of those people who was like, eh, Troy is pretty and other things, I guess. But, but like, no, we actually get like a full, like, you know, I was thinking about, cause we had just watched, um, we talked about Farpoint last week on Earl Grey and Farpoint Troy to this Troy is they're totally different yeah, people. Yeah. And uh, and it did take us to season six or seven to get to that point. But I am glad to see that they, they, they did actually give her at least something. And in this episode, she does. She shines. She actually, she's very competent. Well, she got promoted. So she has, she has that commander rank this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I really agree. Um, and she also is letting the accent fly now. We no longer care that she's British. <laughs> she's out in this episode. Um but yeah, because I mean, not, not, not only was she was she counseling the ship or you know using her psychology powers, but she was acting as a as a lead, like a commander. You know, you know, I'm in charge of this mission. You know, and so it was, I, I definitely thought she definitely took the lead well. I mean, this is definitely a good post disaster, Troy. And she tells Worf what to do, which I guess he's used to around this time, right? Here at the end of season seven. <laughs> well, like I, I was trying to, when I was watching this episode. And you know that this is the next to the next to the last. I'm like, I'm trying to like look for any like secret chemistry between Troy and Worf in this yeah. episode. Is there like a, a wink or something or a here's. Well, that was it, the moment where she's just ordering him around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree with both of you guys. And, and that's so true. What you said, Daniel, about Farpoint Troy to this Troy, because honestly, if this set episode had been, you know, season one, she wouldn't have been in the holodeck. She would have been on the bridge feeling this emotion and 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 consciousness starting to come into being and yeah. being try to like explain that and none of us would have gotten it we're like okay well we can't feel what you're feeling so <laughs> something's happening we can see that something's happening so we don't really need you to to tell us and so yeah and and you're totally right philip she's she runs that away team because it's data and Worf and her and so she's the senior officer there, and she just tells them what to do. 
And, you know, I think I really do think a big part of it is the fact that they just put her in a normal uniform. Like she instantly earns like recognition and respect just being, you know, like everyone else and not, you know, skin type clothing. It's like, no, she's she's just she's an officer. She's gone to Starfleet Academy. You know, she's she's she has this rank for a reason. She's earned it. And she shows that, you know, she's 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 commanding data and wharf who are kind of like the a team kind of, uh, you know, of, of, <laughs> <laughs> of, of TNG's away team. What, what, you know, now we need the a team van to come zipping down the street on the holodeck <laughs> trying to stop them. That's true. Where was Barkley? This would have would been be, a great Barkley oh, episode. Yeah, he'd be driving. <laughs> You know he's a he is a he's terrified of trains, so he would it just wouldn't work for him. What would be that phobia, trainophobia? He would have stared at the potted plant on the train the whole time in the corner, just mumbling to himself. Well, I really like Troy's role in this episode as well, and she's the one that's really making sense of what's going on because you get Jordy and you get Data, and they're looking at it from from the tech geek point of view right they're trying to figure out like technically what's going on where troy is actually seeing it for what it is which is, is showing all the signs of an emerging intelligence of a child and what's happening on the holodeck and how it echoes you know the psychology of this emerging intelligence and it had been enough years for me since i've really watched this episode when i went back to watch it for the show that i I was able to watch it and just kind of form my own thoughts about what was going on before I got to the point where Troy said the exact same thing, which is I'm just watching everything that's happening. I'm thinking, okay, this is like, it's like a child looking around at the world, which I said earlier, and trying to make sense of what it's seeing, trying to figure things out as it goes. And then there's that moment in sickbay where Troy echoed exactly what I had been thinking earlier. She says, it's as though this emergent intelligence is like an infant acting on impulse, trying to figure out itself as it goes. The only experience it can draw on is ours through our holodeck programs, which is it kind of scary because especially if it tapped into any of Barclay's holodeck programs. Especially some of but, his holodeck programs. I am yeah. joy. <laughs> Cast off but, your inhibitions. But it's exactly what was going on there. And it also took the... It took the child analogy in this episode and added the parental element to it as well, whereas the Enterprise crew are like the parents and the child is the ship. And then the child in coming to life, even though the ship itself isn't new, whatever is happening to it very much creates a parent-child relationship. Maybe that's why Worf is so upset because it reminds him of his own failed Abandoned. parenthood. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm not going to screw up this ship the way I screwed up Alexander. <laughs> the Enterprise I'm going to shovel this coal as hard as long as it takes. No. I'm, I'm sorry, Chris. You mean to say I'm not going to screw up the ship like I screwed up uh, – what's his name again? <laughs> I want to say Jer Jeremy Astor. <laughs> Jeremy Astor. <laughs> That's true. We could have used fistful of datas, you know. <laughs> that was something the holodeck remembered yet. <laughs> I actually had a bit of a flash of that, like when the when the guy the guy with the guns first walked in. I'm like, you know, it's kind of a missed opportunity. They didn't just throw data in there. 
because I would assume like the holodeck would still have or Dixon Hill from or Sherlock Holmes. Like we really could, or Moriarty. I mean, we well, could have taken all well, of Moriarty's, the. Epi- well, you know, he's gone. Ghost he's, in the machine. You know, he, he could have found a way. Yeah. Life <laughs> finds a way. They should have had Minuet on the train as well. Ooh. Oh, well, she, she was in the dining car. You know, that's where Riker went. <laughs> I think we yeah. just rewrote the ultimate holodeck story. Uh, basically, <laughs> just have to take all the characters from the other holodeck stories and combine right. them into one. It would have and been... then you go to the back car where people go when they forget their tickets, and you find Jordy back there, <laughs> the and back he's got car. like pictures of Leia Brahms all over the wall. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shades uh... of gray, but with all the holodeck characters. That's what it is. <laughs> Well, Chris, to pick up when what you were saying about the parent-child relationship, I mean, in in a funny way, but a serious way, this reminded me of the motion picture with with V'ger. Yeah, because you yeah. basically had this combination of because when Picard or or someone was talking about, you know, not only is the ship trying to figure itself out, it's using our experiences, like you said, which is V'ger. You know, out of I'm trying to remember the quote. You know, it's it's created new life out of our own human weaknesses and the drive that compels us to overcome it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of foolish human emotions, isn't that right, Mister Spock? You know, but like to me, the, and it was also like because we created this life form, and like Picard said, or or, or who was it? Data at the end is like, you know, why did you let this happen? Because Data, we don't know what will yeah. happen. Picard's like, well, you're right. We don't know what happened. This could be a really bad thing. It could be a good thing. We don't know. But we're TNG, and we do the right thing. <laughs> oh. We assume things will turn out it, optimistically. <laughs> There's there's a lot of it's a it's actually a really cool science fiction concept too like when they're talking about you know I think it was during Data's initial PowerPoint presentation and they're talking about um, consciousness being like an emergent property yeah. right and like really interesting st- like really just stuff that like makes you think like hey like we don't know how we work so it's totally feasible that the, if something changes or happens to the ship then yeah sure it could gain intelligence why couldn't it it has all these all these different properties that that kind that we share with it and it's really kind of interesting like it, it takes a backseat i think to like a lot of the fun and the silliness and and craziness of the episode yeah. but like underneath it all there's a really interesting story there i think for sure because I, I think the only thing that is a trouble for me for this episode and i think for for, for maybe some people i'll just say me the whole emergent principle when I was listening to that, I'm like, well, it's a great magical theory. My question would be, why now? Like seven years that we've had this ship and like now. Didn't they well, say they had just yeah. passed through some sort of gas cloud or something? Gas or... clouds can't yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. be your explanation for everything, Darren. <laughs> hey, I didn't write the episode. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, don't yell at Darren. Jeez, Philip. <laughs> well, it, it's an interesting <laughs> question, too, because I feel like at the end of this episode – I wish they had done this episode earlier in the series so that they could then revisit this life form later. I mean, it would have been interesting to see what happened in this life form. This precious Plus, little life form when it became a whale. <laughs> right. <laughs> this episode, it's very ambiguous as to what was really going on. Was the Enterprise coming to life? Or did they pick up something when they passed through this gas cloud that then used the enterprise for its own reproductive purposes? And it seems like it's more likely as far as TNG stories go, as far as Star Trek stories go, it's more likely that some organic or some element in that cloud that they passed through found its way into the enterprise 
just like energy likes to find its way, you know, into Troy's belly in the child. I was thinking that this, was, this is the sequel to the child. And, uh, this is the sequel yeah. to the child. So, but found its way in and then it used the Enterprise's systems and the replicators and the transporters to create um, a, a physical form for itself. And then it left the ship and it went out. But the idea that the Enterprise itself, because of the complexity of the systems, was waking up and coming to life is a much more interesting concept to me. And it's something that I think actually has validity to it, that as systems become more and more and more complex, that they start to take on properties that if it's not truly life as we would define life, it certainly looks like life. It mimics life. You know, I think that computer systems that we have now will continue to develop to a point where, uh, you know, if we sit down and, and converse with them, we, it would probably be hard to know that this is not an organic life form. Maybe it takes a long time for that to happen, but it's just like the the increasing complexity of something. And you, you hit a point where, where the ultimate... Um, the, the properties of it are greater than the sum of the parts. It, it would have been interesting maybe if uh, the Deep Space Nine crew had encountered this in like season five or something, you know, they could have picked it up there. Maybe. Well, I think this is what spooked Picard and that's why they destroyed the ship promptly in generations. They're like, hey, the ship basically came alive. I think we need a new one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. And it, Troy you know, and Troy volunteered. Um, I can crash Troy, the ship. <laughs> she was in charge of the mission. Still, uh, I'm not going back on that train. No way. <laughs> Let's just crash the ship right into the ground. I'm getting on board the crazy train. Um, but it's interesting. I, I I can't. I'm for the life of me. I can't remember the line or why I think this. But I remember specifically that to your point, Chris, about whether it's the Enterprise coming alive or or it's just for this for this you know being or whatever, whatever you want to call it yeah. to be born. But I think there is a line where like, it, it definitely was the enterprise coming alive, but then something left or uh, they lost something. And that's why the enterprise stopped having intelligence. Well, that's because they, they stated that it was like, it was Beverly. like, it, it's only yeah. purpose was to create this thing. That's what it was. I An think analogy. it was like a line about Beverly says there are species whose only purpose, the, the purpose of the parents is yes. just to, that was the line, reproduce. which I thought was a ridiculous line. And then they die. All species. Well, I, I think what she was meaning was that the way it's written, the way that she said it, it, it sounded really weird. But the point she was making was that in certain species, the role of the parents is to reproduce. And once they reproduce, then they die. Like they don't, they're not like humans and continue to live on and raise the, raise the offspring is what she was getting at. And, and then so she was, but it's still very confusing. Like, I agree with you that it is clear that the Enterprise was coming to life, but what's not clear is whether it was doing it on its own or whether it was whatever came into the ship causing those systems to come to life. Because then you have to worry about any other... That's true. Well, aren't there some biological, you know, creatures out there that, I mean, where they use something like a symbiont relationship, right, yeah, yeah. you know, or is usually more geographic or, or, or things like that, but it's like, oh, we go to this certain spot or we tap into this certain type of enzyme that grows here and that is the catalyst for you know the reproduction well there are um if i remember correctly i might be wrong on this specific example but i'm pretty sure i saw a show um on television here a science show a while back where 
it was um, a type of insect, maybe a fly, but some type of insect would actually go lay its eggs on the backs of these specific frogs. And it would use the frog's body as the, as the medium the incubator, the, the incubator. Yeah. And then, and then the, um, like sacks or something would pop and then the, you know, the insects would come out. So it's actually using another life form for its own reproduction. Yeah. Or, that, or that's the, what I meant. Something these like big that. slugs that'll get inside a person's stomach and live a life <laughs> several lifetimes. Sour the milk, sour the milk. That's what they should have done right off the bat. <laughs> oh gosh, Philip, and you're talking about trill and then, and Darren, you're yelling sour the milk. And so now I'm picturing like a, a trill that didn't really want to be joined and they go and they like try to drink some root beer or something, you know, that's going to be <laughs> offensive to one of those human drinks. The symbiote. Yeah. No, well, you said slug, and I thought you meant that space slug that attached itself to the Enterprise D. Well, this oh. is one of those Trek FM word association games. We say slug, <laughs> and then what does this what does this say about me then? Because when you said space slug, all I could think of was the the um, asteroid monster from Empire Strikes Back. It means you don't belong. Uh, wrong in this series. Podcast, <laughs> I know. Am I? Am I? I know. Am I? Am I a traitor? I'm sorry. Wars FM is is recording next door. Ensign Prue, you've just been demoted. <laughs> I, I've, this is the first time I've seen a bad report on one of my crewmen. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's hollow pursuits for you. It just doesn't happen. It's your problem, Philip. Make it work. <laughs> I'll pretend to be his friend. So, so let me just ask you how you feel just just the concept i mean we've already talked about the concept and it's an interesting sci-fi concept but just within tng again i think that the problem that some fans that i hear have with this episode is just the idea of the enterprise coming to life at all that, like it seemed too far-fetched and it wasn't it it was silly but to me to me it makes a lot of sense and i think it's also a an interesting parallel with the data at the end too because the similarities in the neural net and all does it make sense to you guys that this would happen to the Enterprise, specifically the Enterprise? I think it's disingenuous in a universe where um, robots can become sentient, mm -hmm. where um, holograms. holograms can become sentient, where literally buckets of goo can become sentient. I think it's, 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 it's disingenuous to say that something as complex and uh, intri uh, you know, intricate as the Enterprise shouldn't be able to. And it's not like it remains that way. It just happens in this episode. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an interesting concept to explore. And I think it totally makes sense in universe. I mean, because I guess the challenge is if we're saying that there was no external thing, that it was just the Enterprise in and of itself, then like, shouldn't every starship or every galaxy class or... Or a star base? Or... Yeah. Well, because like, I, I unfortunately went on a Transformers marathon and I'm like, so is this an Enterprise in disguise? Is it going to be like, choo -choo 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 -choo? you know, and then starships like... in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> All I can do is separate the saucer and reattach. It's really not that big of a trick. It's, it's a really boring Transformers. It's, it's like that robot in the movie Big that became a building. It's like, what am I going to do with the building? <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm sorry, Chris. The I mean, way they... There's only one Tom Hanks reference allowed to be made on the ready room. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not those buddies. Well, I mean, I felt the way they started the topic of it seems like the Enterprise is coming alive felt very much like the early the early season episode where um, the Enterprise started like breaking down and they were worried like it had like all these system problems and they're like boy it just feels like 
you know, this ship should have been run across a few more drawing boards. Like it's having all these, you know, issues. And it, oh, it, yeah. It, yeah. it just felt like this huge issue that just happened to land on this Tuesday, you know, and we're experiencing it. And it was just, it felt like that. It's like, well, oh, yeah, Jordy, you remember the last week? Oh, yeah, when the Enterprise like turned into a life form. It, it just, <laughs> it, it's such this big thing where, I don't know, just the way it was packaged, it, it was it just it was odd to me. Hmm. Well, it's like, it's like the poor ensign or crewman back in Starfleet headquarters who was responsible for reading the engineering logs of the Enterprise D. It's like t- travel to the Delta Quadrant in a day <laughs> made a life form. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, what, what do I do with this? What do I file this under? I don't understand. <laughs> what have they been putting in that tea, John Luke? I mean, really, like. <laughs> Then they find out that it's all because Argyle has been pumping his gin directly into the conduits, and the entire <laughs> ship's just been drunk for seven years. <laughs> we found 12 bodies. Oh, that's where the chief, chief engineers went. <laughs> now, Philip, you said that there's only one Tom Hanks reference allowed, and therefore no bosom buddies. I have a, a backdoor bosom buddy semi-reference for this episode. <laughs> Now, the hitman on the train, the one that's taking great care of that brick, because we can't lose, it's very important, that was Vinny Argyro. And Vinny Argyro played a character coincidentally called Vinny on two episodes of Who's the Boss? And one of those episodes was titled Boozin' Buddies, which I think is close <laughs> enough to qualify as a Ready Room Boozin' Buddies reference. You worked really hard on that, Chris. I'm very impressed. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is Star Trek and Bosom Buddies now, officially same universe. That's that's canon. It's, it's, we're not Do we play this like degree of separation game every time? I'm yes. just I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. If if Chris turned his camera, you'd see a brilliant mind-esque, you know, bulletin board with all the connections. That's right. And, and Booze and Bunnies is in the with center. 80s Star sitcoms Trek is on the side. wall. I have them diagrammed. <laughs> what I'm really saying, Daniel, is that the Enterprise showed Picard who's the boss in this episode. Uh, <laughs> it was Angela. Like it. it was Angela. Like it. Right? <laughs> it, was, it was Angela. <laughs> That's right. She was the boss. We talked a bit about the holograms, the characters on the train and such and Troy you know suggested that they were representative of different parts of the ship different systems on the ship and and that made a lot of sense as well uh before we just completely move off of this of the craziness that was going on in the holodeck are there any other holodeck orient express moments that you guys wanted to cover any orient express facts anyone has <laughs> well, did you know, Philip, that the Orient Express Went was between Istanbul a... and <laughs> it went between I, I Istanbul expected, and know, Constantinople? Uh, it's a really, really mean? short ride. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, they could have also had a Hercule Poirot character because, I mean, <laughs> Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. I mean, yeah. I think that's 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 really why Picard and Beverly know all these facts. I mean, let's be honest. Well, they, they they really needed that because they actually used stock footage from Murder on the Orient Express to, you know, fill in the episode a little bit here, give it a feel. 
good good that Paramount had that. One thing I have vault, to say, vault. and like I understand that Starfleet officers are, you know, especially our our senior staff are supposed to be the best of the best humans, and just like just these great people, but they have uncanny, amazing, like historical awareness. And like, I've, you know, like we Picard himself goes from Shakespeare to the Orient Express, like in this episode and can just instantly rattle off facts <laughs> and information. It's like, this was like five bazillion years ago for you, Picard. Like, how do you know all of these things off the top of your head? It's really kind of impressive. He's no Tom Paris. It, he's, he's, he is no Tom Paris. <laughs> That's true. Well, don't get a conversation with Picard about, you know, 20th century Olympic fencing matches because he'll really, really drill you with. Well, did you know Beverly, that? that. <laughs> you know, the other thing about the train is that they wanted to build a train car from scratch to represent the Orient Express, but it was going to run the budget way over. And then it, it happened that, that one of the carpenters in the shop had worked on Bram Stoker's Dracula and had worked on the train car that was used in that. And so they were able to go get that and have it delivered over to the stage and saved what Cliff Bowl said would have been about $120,000 to build that thing from scratch. And of course that would have had to have been pulled away from other parts of the episode, which would, it's probably why they would have had to have really had unlicensed software for the PowerPoint presentations because, you know, <laughs> those corporate licenses from Microsoft, when you when you start talking about Starship level and how many seats <laughs> you need for that, it gets really expensive. I mean, they don't have a site license like the whole yeah. ship. It's per it's per terminal. Yeah. Let's just, yeah. At least Windows was licensed there if PowerPoint was not. <laughs> yes. that. Because this is On the, the, P- this is the they PC have... universe and the Prime universe. This wasn't JJ right. Mac universe. Right. <laughs> yeah, the JJ universe is the, the Apple Store universe. So on the Enterprise, they have flagship licensing. Yeah, yeah. That's what they have. That's the, that's the tier that they have. It's the highest tier that you can get. So. Well, it did feel, though, like the writers or, or someone happened to one morning stumble through the prop you know, prop warehouse of the universal pack lot. And it was like, Hey, look, a suit of armor. Hey, look, (laughs) (laughs) well, every other character in that respect, this is the next generation's squire of Gothos because the squire of Gothos (laughs) was completely like, what do we have in the prop closet? We still have that salt. How can we build an episode around it? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's talk about one last point here. And this is, you already brought this up earlier about uh, the conversation that Data had uh, with Picard at the end and said, you know, you took a big chance in allowing this life form to come into being because, you know, you don't know if it's good. It could be dangerous. We don't know. And then Picard actually says, yes, you know, it could be. We don't know. But then it's the nature versus nurture argument in space at this point. And Picard's response to Data is that the intelligence that was formed on the Enterprise didn't just come out of the ship's systems. It came from us, from our mission records, personal logs, holodeck programs, our fantasies. There's another Barkley there again, a little bit, Rutro. <laughs> he says, now, if our experiences with the Enterprise have been honorable, can't we trust that the sum of those experiences will be the same? And I found it really interesting because... You know, I think that Picard is taking that great TNG leap of faith there. Actually, Philip, this is what you and I were discussing on iMessage, right? The 
the the TNG optimistic view of things, yeah, I think Picard is taking it for granted that this is going to turn out well. But as a parent, you know, you 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 raise your children and you think because you're raising them and they're around you all the time, they see what you do, you teach them things, you think that they're going to see the world very much the same way you do. They're going to have similar thoughts. They're going to act a certain way, but they don't. More often than not, they don't. And it's, you know, everyone is unique. And so I I really, I don't know, I found this ending, like I know what Picard's saying. It was like a very Roddenberry statement to make. It's a very TNG statement to make, but I don't know. You know, if there had been nine seasons of TNG, Maybe this thing would have teamed up with the crystalline entity and and the, and the doomsday machine and and you know gone around and tried to just eat the galaxy. Tin Man. Yeah. Well, well, we were discussing if if Terak Nor had created a life form, it would have just eaten Bajor. So I mean, really, just... <laughs> but probably like a la Unicron. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, because I think the the pivotal point in this episode is most of the episode is trying to stop this process from happening. But then I forget if it's Troy or Picard. One of them says, "Let's start cooperating instead. Let's trust." Mm-hmm. Which I mean, let's like get on the right ahead. track. Yes, like you said, yes. we'll be the caboose to this. I don't know. Um, we'll be the caboose. Yes. Or the, what's <laughs> that's the, when Riker had the line, "Nice caboose there." Watch, watch your caboose, <laughs> dicks. Um, but but yeah, yeah. So I mean, it is that whole because again, you don't know, but it is taking chances. Because guess what? That's why we're out here. We want to yeah. sit in that big chair. Picard's really thinking to himself, you know, hey, the Borg tried to kill me. I'm invincible. Come at me, Enterprise. Like, really? You're not you're not taking me down. I can do this. He's taunting his own ship. (laughs) To to your point, Chris, it's 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 interesting because I kind of saw it the same way. I didn't, you know, because I myself am not a parent. I, I didn't necessarily look at it in, in that same vein, but I did kind of see the the nature versus nurture of it. And it was like, the way I looked at it was Picard kind of said to himself, well, essentially at this point, there's, there's, I mean, there's not much we're going to be able to do now. And um, I think it was him recognizing that ultimately that thing, whatever it became uh, is going to be what it is, no matter what. And we can choose to be afraid of it and fear it. Or, like he states many times in TNG, it's our mission to to learn about it and to explore it and to to, to interact with it, and and that I think is where the the, the TNG strength lies. The philosophy of of that of the Roddenberry, the original Roddenberry vision of Star Trek is it's we can fear the unknown and 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 just instantly recoil and fight back against it, but it's just like. I, the ending of this episode to me is phenomenal in the fact that he 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 does very clearly state a Roddenberry esque philosophy where he's like, no, we're you know we're not going to be those people. That's not who we are anymore. We're 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 whether it turns out good or bad, like it has it it has to have its own chance and it has to do its own thing, and we're going to let that happen. Kind of reminds me of that line from A Measure of a Man, you know. Our, you know, our mission is to seek out new life. Well, there it sits. You know, I was thinking the exact mm-hmm. same thing, Philip. <laughs> it's, Unless it's yeah. Q, in which case we don't care about the new life. If you're Picard. No. <laughs> well, and it was Data asking the question, so he kind of had to answer that way because I mean, <laughs> he can't say, "Well, he was still, sm- I mean, he was still smart. Machines aren't really 
A lie. I mean, uh, no. I mean, uh, yeah, we had to do that because yeah. he was still smarting from the conversation in redemption, where Data's like, "Why don't I have a command?" Picard's like, "Because <laughs> your name is Data. That's D. I had to get through the A's, B's, C's." That's it's, why it's Captain Argyle is holed up on the in the Jeffrey's <laughs> tomb. Then Data goes files his human resources complaint and the lawsuit. Is, and it's, did did Argyle get command of the of the USS Jack Daniels in that mission? <laughs> I, I mean, I yeah, don't. He was a garbage scout. <laughs> well, I I don't completely agree with Picard's statement from the point of view of whether it's accurate or not. You know, I do think he's taking a, a great leap there, but I do think that from a Star Trek perspective they made the right decision by allowing the ship to complete the process that it was going through and allowed that life form to be created and then allowed it to leave the ship because it is ultimately the, the goal is to seek out new life. And so I do think he made the right decision. And I mean, ultimately that, that like, essentially that's all they could do anyways. Like even as much as they hemmed and hawed about it, like, they didn't really have a choice. They couldn't have stopped it. Well, he, short of short of blowing up the ship. I was going to say, he could have blown know. up the damn ship. They blew it up. <laughs> did, he, did he leave and the, the only exact same way they, as the child from Deanna? Like, remember when he turned into a ball and we just see it kind of come out of that mid... Same thing. Yeah, yep. like right at the separation plane. It's just like... And that's, I think, we took the same same path. Is that the official energy being exit of the Enterprise D? It, it is. It, there's, a, there's a sign. Okay. There's a pull to release emergency <laughs> sign right there. It's... Well, let's wrap up with our final thoughts and our rating for this episode. So, Darren, how about you? What are your final thoughts? Well, I definitely this is definitely a really fun episode and and whether or not you you take the time to look at the the deeper level of you know, what is imagination, what is something being created, uh it's it is a lot of fun. It definitely feels like a season 7 episode. I mean, it's not just for the fact that Troy is in a uniform and she actually is, you know, leading, but beyond just that, it it's definitely a very polished episode. Every all the characters really get something to do. I mean, in, in, in a lot of TNG, you know, I think there was one we, we watched and we're like, is Worf actually in this one? And, <laughs> and we weren't even sure. But uh, but no, he he, def- he definitely had a, a good a good role uh, in this one. So it's it's a really enjoyable one, a great se- season seven episode. Uh, so I I would call it definitely definitely at least four golden tickets. All right. Golden. T- oh, I like that because the tickets in the episode weren't actually golden, but the tickets in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory were golden. And when I first saw the node, I thought it was a gigantic everlasting gobstopper. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Philip? Well, I mean, like like Darren said, I, when, I definitely thought it was a season seven episode for one to look. The season seven, I don't really think about it until now. Cause just, I think all good things of season, when I think season seven, but looking at this episode, there's definitely like a, a look to season seven. I don't know if I can describe it, mm-hmm. but like the lighting, the sharpness, Worf's makeup, Deanna's look. It, there's definitely a look, even Picard. Um, but anyway, but I, I, I think I remember what you alluded to earlier, Chris, about like, Oh, this episode, this is the silly one where the ship comes alive. But watching it again this time, I think I did appreciate it a, a whole lot more. And so I, I definitely think it's a good one to watch. And I would give it 8 out of 10 wharf eye rolls. <laughs> <laughs> 
much. I am not a merry man. How about you, Daniel? You know, I, I, I kind of agree with Philip in that I definitely gained an extra appreciation of watching it this time through. Um, it's it's an episode that I remember actually watching first run. Yeah. One of the few episodes that I kind of remember watching back then because I was much younger. Oh, were you in high um, school at this but, point? Oh, yeah. No, I think I was six, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's just an episode that's that's kind of always been in the back of my mind as a Star Trek episode. Like, it's just kind of stuck there and it's always been the silly, goofy kind of – just an episode I've never really given any thought to or, or watched with any sort of scrutiny. Um, but but watching it for this, I, I, I there are pretty interesting layers to it that we don't get to see, and you know, it watch going through the episode and watching it was good. But but as soon as we hit the ending, like I'm kind of a sucker for especially in science fiction for optimism, and like the Picard speech at the end really gets me, and like it's like the it's it's like a really kind of good crash course in TNG philosophy, you know, for people maybe who aren't familiar with the show, and actually. Uh, probably a really good episode to show maybe people who aren't familiar with the show because it's, it's very standalone-ish and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you don't really need to know anything about the characters going into it. And it's just a really interesting kind of concept and, and silly and fun. So, uh, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good as a good episode and I would probably rate it. Um, I'm going to give it a, not to steal a little bit from Darren, but I'm going to give it a seven, golden bricks and anybody who's ever played a lego video game knows that those golden bricks are pretty important so oh, they are yeah there you go very good although that prop was probably the cheapest golden brick i'd ever seen <laughs> i think it was styrofoam with a little bit of craft paint but <laughs> well come on you don't want them to blow the budget on an actual brick Cork would have shown up and been like, is that, is that Latinum? I'm surprised they even knew what gold was. I mean, it is the 24th century. <laughs> well, gold is useless in the 24th century. You know, it's only good for, you know, coding Latinum. <laughs> so, well, I, I, I'm glad we did this episode finally on the Ready Room. And I remember watching it in first run as well. Um, unfortunately, Daniel, I wasn't six. I was actually a senior in university when this came on. So... <laughs> Sorry, uh, but I remember watching it first run, and I remember loving the episode from the very beginning. But when I watch it now, again, with all the experiences of life that I've had since that time, and being a parent and everything, I I still enjoy all the fun, crazy moments of this episode that I've always loved. Plus, I appreciate the story a little bit more of the the ship coming to life, how the ship is behaving like a child, and the, the way that the crew is in essence through what Picard said, the, the parents of this new life form that's going to wander out in space somewhere and have all the fantasies of Barclay and the literacy of Picard and all this stuff and the anger of Worf going on in it. So it's a, it's a great episode. I think I don't understand why some fans are not fond of it and I'm going to give it nine mystery puzzle pieces. <laughs> But a puzzle of what, Chris? A puzzle of what? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a difficult puzzle, actually, because there's so much white around the the node. It's kind of hard to fit more, those pieces more together. More importantly, and 
I just really quick. This has just occurred to me. Both of the people that saw the node have visual systems that record images that they could have shown everybody else, <laughs> right. and they didn't do it. Let it so, go, Daniel. Know. Let it go. <laughs> Whereas today, if we walked in and we saw that, we would pull out our phone and snap a picture of it and <laughs> post it on Instagram, and it would tweet it out. And you'd say, "Hey, does anybody know what this is?" Well, well if you <laughs> listen, hashtag. Enterprise craziness. Well, if you listen to the latest <laughs> literary tricks, you would know that now the Romulans now know what that looks like. Thanks to Jordy. Oh, oh thanks, right. Jordy. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us today, guys. Of course, you guys do the same show. All you guys do the same show together on the network. But, Philip, tell everyone where they can find you on the network and elsewhere. Well, they can find me talking about TNG articles on the Trek.fm website. Um, and they can also listen to us, obviously, every week on Earl Grey. Um, but you can find me on Twitter at NC Public Servant. And that's where I do stuff, Trek and Doctor Who and politics and government and all that stuff. And Philip, I think that pretty much all of us on the network now, on our shows, we frequently use the term badmiral. And of course, that's thanks to you. And I understand that you actually do receive a small commission every time someone says the word badmiral. Yeah, I get all this useless gold. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Daniel, where can people find you? People can also find me on Earl Grey. I am the uh, the youngest member of the team. The here, Wesley, clearly. if you will. Uh, but uh, <laughs> what? No, come on now. Whoa, whoa. I am certainly not the Wesley, Philip. Um, Philip's getting, uh, he's going to get spaced the next time I'm running the show. Um, but they can also find me on Twitter at OneUpDan, where I frequently, especially from now on, will be OneUpping Philip every day. Um, and that's the number <laughs> one, not the word. All right. Very good. Well, thanks again for joining us today, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Well, I was really glad that Philip and Daniel got to join us for this great episode. It's such a quotable episode. I mean, who doesn't love just saying, New Vortiform City on track two? <laughs> uh, but, I mean, yeah. besides the Verderon, you know, particles and all that, it's 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 so much fun and a great season seven uh, wrap-up towards, towards the series. Yeah, it is. Uh, as I'm watching it, I, I'm just feeling like this is where... Like you can tell it's the end of the series, kind of, because everything just feels right. Picard and Date on the holodeck feels right. Troy feels right. Riker's facial expressions feel right when he's surprised at what people say on the train. And uh, it, it's um, a very polished episode there near the end. But it's uh, I'm glad all three of you guys could join us for an invasion of the Ready Room by Earl Grey. But it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Marathons for new viewers. If, if someone were to say to my 13-year-old self, here is every single episode of Star Trek ever made, I just don't know what I would do. I honestly think I probably wouldn't appreciate the shows as much as I do because they'd be so disposable. Earl Grey. Cliff Bowl and Hollow Pursuits. Did he override anything, or did he actually just walk no, right in? No, no, he just hit the button. He just went boopity boop boop. The ready room. Yeah, with Mark Cushman. But he's standing outside this building talking to Val, <laughs> and there was this one point in the script where the writer wrote, Val reacts to what Kirk said, and Bob Justman in his memo said, I'm sitting here trying to imagine how a building is going to react 
what our Captain Kirk says. The orb. Runabouts. It definitely feels more like the Old West. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're basically in a covered wagon instead of, like, a train. But so. a covered wagon that can go warp five. To the journey! Cue on Voyager. You know, he got the, the chocolates and the roses and, you know, the I'm puppies. I'm not talking about like the puppies. <laughs> yes. Someone had to do it. I'm not talking about the puppy. <laughs> Warp 5. Malcolm Reed. It almost feels like the writers thought it was fun to just keep throwing facts in and dialogue about him. You know, usually in the show Bible, you want to see people do things, and they just oh, we'll have some, we'll have this person say this. We'll have a whole episode about how he loves pineapple, but he's allergic to it. <laughs> Commentary: Trek stars. Robert Hewitt Wolf recap. So it's it was like Three Amigos or Galaxy Quest, but with Anne Rice. I think it, it might have been. I I could be wrong about that. I don't know. That sounds you know equally amazing and horrible. Melodic Treks. Dick Fontaine and the S Nine Jazz. In nineteen eighty three. Darren was off the role of Jim Corrigan on ABC series TJ Hooker. The part of Hooker, as many of you will know, was played by none other than William Shatner or Captain James Tiberius Kirk. Literary Treks. The Insolence of Office. But Starfleet's a military organization, and when you sign up for Starfleet, you're you're joining that group, and I think that you give up some of your rights in that situation. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and you'll find them in a wide variety of places, including on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, or Zune, and you can even stream or download from the website. So go grab some shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. Also, if you'd like to send us your thoughts on Emergence or TNG, anything we talked about today, you can do that in a variety of ways. First, you can go to our website at trek.afilm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose the ready room, and that will come to us by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website, or you can go to our forums at trek.afilm slash forums to talk to us and other listeners about TNG, about the ready room, anything you want to talk about related to Star Trek. That's a great place to do it as well. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And you'll always find us tweeting away about Star Trek on Twitter under username trekfm. Another thing you can do if you'd like, if there's something that you want to hear us talk about on the Ready Room in the news segment, if you have a question about Star Trek, anything you want to know our thoughts on, you can send us questions from the fleet and the way you do that is to go to the same contact form trek.afilm slash contact and on that form choose questions from the fleet and send that in and we'll talk about it during news so we'd love to hear from you there and find out what you want to know about also if you have a moment to drop by itunes if you enjoy the show we'd love for you to leave us a star rating and a written review that does help star trek fans find the ready room as they're searching the itunes store it only takes a moment we love to hear from you so drop by there leave us a star rating leave us a written review let us know what you think about the ready room and we really appreciate you doing that for us as well now, Darren, when you're not, uh, you know, running around the ship trying to figure out exactly where all those nodes are coming from, where can people find you? Well, people can find me talking Trek on Twitter under the username Dr. Sci-Fi. That's D-R-S-C-I-F-I. And if they want to hear more science fiction talk, I have another podcast called The Dr. Sci-Fi Show. 
And the best way to find that is either uh, look for it on iTunes or you can go to my website, which is Dr. Sci-Fi, where I blog a little bit, talk a little bit. But like I've said many times before, you know, talking about science fiction with people who just really enjoy it uh, is something that's just a lot of fun. That's a great show. Uh, you know, I was listening recently, actually, when you had, um, I don't, I'm not sure how recent the show was, but I was listening to your interview with Diane Carey, who's one of the great, great Star Trek authors. And it was just really, really fascinating, all the background information that you got from her on your show. Yeah, we changed the format for the show this in the beginning of the year, and now each month is a different topic. And so January was novels of science fiction, okay. and so mm. uh, she wrote my favorite uh, Star Trek novel, Ship of the Line, and yeah, mm. I had a great conversation with her. It's, it's really fun to hear just, I mean, her history, I didn't realize that she did sailing on the lakes of Michigan. and has, Yeah, that was interesting. And yeah. so it's really fun to hear a lot about behind the people who who write great things because people put a lot of themselves in these books so it, it's definitely been definitely. a lot of fun yeah definitely so go check out the dr sci-fi show everyone and if you'd like to find me you can find me on twitter as well my username is c brian jones that's the letter c and brian with a y you can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com and then elsewhere on the network you'll find me on literary treks which i believe i mentioned at some point in the show today with matthew rushing and we talk about star trek books and comics and we also interview authors on there as well so that's a very interesting show if you're into the extended literary universe. Matthew and I also do The Orb together, where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. You'll find me on Warp 5, where we talk exclusively about Enterprise. And then you'll find me on my interview show, Matter Stream, where we talk about science and social issues and creative things that are loosely related to Star Trek. So uh, check those out if you're interested. Before we let you go, we'd also like to ask you once again to support our sponsor for today's show. That's audible.com, the best source for audiobooks online. They have so many wonderful books there for you to choose from, both Star Trek and otherwise. As we talked about, uh, Darren told you about Dark Mirror, great book by Diane Duane. You can pick that up or anything else you want absolutely free just for trying Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up, you can get a free audiobook of your choice. If you decide not to stick with Audible after the trial, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep that free audiobook. So drop by, check it out. I know you're going to love it, and your support of Audible helps us keep the ready room coming. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. One more thing you can do to help us keep the ready room coming is to make a donation to the network. We do have a lot of expenses related to production, hosting, and bandwidth to bring all of our shows to you every week. And you can support us by making a contribution at trek.fm slash donate. And we have original alien illustrations done by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website, as a thank you for your donations. So drop by trek.fm slash donate and check out those illustrations and choose a contribution level that's right for you. And we really do thank you for your support of Trek FM and the show. Well, Darren, I'm going to wander down to 10 forward. You know, I hear Guinan has opened a new restaurant down there. It's called Vertiform City. It's all you can eat, and I hear it's the best food around. Well, it sounds like you're on the right track, Chris. It's time to stick a gold <laughs> brick in it, because the Red Room is done. <laughs>